This is Marriage to the Max, episode number 61. Welcome to another episode of Marriage to the Max, and I'm your host this week, Brett Hurst. And I'm Kelly Hurst. And we are both marriage educators and co-founders of Home Encouragement. And this podcast is designed to help you take your marriage to the next level. And uh, before we start our conversation today, we want to very specifically let you know that today's topic is for adults only. So if you have kids in the room or in the car, uh, you will definitely want to press pause uh, before you go any further with this so that we don't offend innocent ears. That being said, we have a very special guest in the studio today, Tim Maverick-George, who we have known for a long time, is a great friend of ours, and he's also a licensed professional counselor. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist and a licensed chemical dependency counselor, among other things. I know you have more talent than that. (laughs) He is the head of the Houston Center for Christian Counseling, married to the lovely Nancy. They have four beautiful children. And we welcome you, Tim, to Marriage to the Max. Awesome. Thanks for the invite to be here. Yeah, so thrilled you're here. Tim joined us a, a few episodes back for a very important conversation about addictions in marriage, but we wanted to pick... Uh, your brain, Tim, again, and zero in on one topic in particular, a very necessary conversation about pornography. It's probably no surprise to those listening that internet pornography has become about as mainstream as network television, if not more. And while a lot of our culture sees it as uh, sees pornography as something as a, a benign pastime, believe it or not, There are so many couples and so many individuals that are really hurting because of the effects of pornography. And, uh, you know, we want to say up front that we're not here to shame anyone. Uh, We definitely have compassion for people who struggle with this issue. It's, it's, uh, we run into this constantly. We just want to have a conversation of why and how pornography can damage yourself, your marriage, and, and hurt your relationship. With your permission, Tim, we're just going to dive right in. Gary Thomas, who wrote uh, The Sacred Marriage and other books, recently said, quote, he said, I no longer ask Christian men whether or not porn is an issue for them. I ask them how they're managing it. Pornography is a rampant thing, and it's also uh, still in some circles a secret in the church. No one wants to talk about it. Uh, the truth is that uh, most men struggle with this, uh, and it's you can kind of understand how we've gotten to this place with an estimated 420 million, that's just staggering, 420 million internet porn sites, sex is available at the click of a mouse. Do you agree that most men struggle with this vice? Most men, I would say, absolutely have struggled with it or are currently struggling with it. Mm-hmm. It is um, one of the most common things that 
we deal with in our counseling center. Um, and not that we specialize in just that, but it is just that much a part of what's going on in, in impacting individual men's lives and impacting couples mm-hmm. routinely, dealing with the devastation of what happens to um, men as they continue to use pornography and this and the ongoing impact on them, both mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and and then the immense impact that most men never quite grasp of what it does to their wives. Mm-hmm. So there's a ripple effect both inside the marriage and inside the family, but it also has fingers that go beyond even those relationships. So it's... It, it's, it is just huge. It's mm-hmm. just when, when I look at this and see what it is that goes on within, um, within marriages and within the Christian community, mm-hmm. it is, to me, it's um, the largest cancer that we see today. Mm-hmm. And cancer in the sense that it's underneath the surface. Nobody knows that a cancer is operating and, and growing and taking over a person mm-hmm. until some huge signal flares its ugly head. Well, and I like that word picture that you've introduced using cancer because when you have cancer, you have to be very radically proactive in treating and attacking that that problem. So we've got to take it with the same level of severity. We've got to have a radical approach to respond to it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that scientists have discovered neurological differences between um, those who were raised on internet porn versus those who were raised kind of the old school magazine pornography. Yes. And I wonder if you could kind of explain that because I've been reading a little bit more about that. It's just really interesting what they're seeing on brain scans and everything, how this plays out for this generation versus the Playboy magazine generation of the 50s and 60s and 70s. Yeah, and, and that's a that's a big point. It's an interesting point that you bring up because the things that we know now, um, and some of this is just this is really new information that mm-hmm. we didn't know even 15 years ago with the uh, advent of, of very high tech um, brain scans that are just. I'm not a neurologist, but I do by the nature of what I do. I've, I've learn to study some of the things that come out of the field of neurology about um, the impact of addictions on brains, because mm-hmm. we can actually see this now. We can see the impact on particular parts of the brain. But one of the things specifically that we can see now is how powerful uh, the nature of internet porn impacts men and the, the rapid onset of, of an addiction. Patrick Carnes, um, who authored really the first real book on sexual addiction called Out of the Shadows, I heard him speak a couple years ago, and he said it used to, if, if a man discovered porn and started looking at, even back when uh, VHS tapes were going and not just magazines, right? and uh, he said it would take two years to create an addiction. He said now with internet porn, easily that the same amount of input, it takes three months. Mm -hmm. And why is that? 
Well, by the rapid nature that when you look at an image, all of us know that now, you start surfing the net mm -hmm. and you see these images and you see one. And again, when your brain gets satiated with that and you quickly can go to another one mm -hmm. and then you can quickly go to another one and quickly. And what you, what a man or a woman doesn't realize is that real quickly what's being created is a tolerance and that you're creating a baseline that increases every time. Mm -hmm. That baseline is increasing. It's getting higher and higher. That looking at something, let's just use a, a number to, rather than talk about images, but looking at something at a level one or two or three, and you turn it off finally after four or five hours at a level four, and that when you pick back up, level ones and onesies and twosies right. are not nearly as appealing. Mm -hmm. And you'll start off at the threesie, foursie level, Real quickly, mm -hmm. you know, they we talk about the 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 triple A engine of internet porn addiction, and uh, and and the triple A engine is what we call the affordability, the accessibility, and the anonymity. Hmm. Those three is what makes this so stinking powerful mm -hmm. that it is affordable, right? Because most internet porn is free, right? Accessible, it's you know three clicks away and you have porn. Um, and the anonymity, you know, things that we may have just wondered about, thought about, that three to, let's say, five clicks, you could be right there looking at something. And so um, that AAA engine has played a, uh, an immense role in why this addiction takes on such rapid, rapid uh, – has such a rapid impact on people. Mm -hmm. And those clicks are like hits. You know, I mean, like you're saying, every yeah. every click is another hit. It's like a morphine pump, right? <laughs> exactly. You just keep keep getting more and more hits. Yes. And as you kind of um, mentioned a second ago, porn now is not just for males anymore. A uh, growing number of women have, have jumped on the bandwagon. In fact, an alarming trend is, is how many couples now view pornography together to, quote, help their sex life. Um, how do you counsel a couple uh, when they're involved in that and they feel like that's necessary to uh, bring more um, excitement to their marriage, to their, to their marital sex life? Well, by the nature of somebody coming into counseling, what they've uh, – for that issue is what they've realized is, oh, this didn't work out quite like we thought it would, mm -hmm. did it? Um, that um, – the numbers that we know is that Dr. Jennifer Schneider, she's a um, she is an MD uh, psychiatrist, and she did a lot of research on this. And she said that seventy percent of people that are involved with this kind of pornography, looking at it together, that they will become dissatisfied with relational sex. Mm -hmm. So it starts out as wow. This is really stimulating. And you look at these images initially, and they are very stimulating. But the, the point of diminishing returns kicks in, and that 70% of people, that one party, at least one of the parties, starts finding that relational sex becomes dissatisfying. Define what you mean by relational sex. Oh, okay. Between a husband and wife. As we were talking about, yeah. you know, husbands and wives thinking, hey, let's spice things up a little bit. Right. And so let's just look at this and let's look at that. And before we know it, it takes on and has a life of its own. And before you know it, the relational sex aspect is in the rearview mirror. And now we're into just 
hardcore isolationism and yeah. so forth. Mm. Yeah, and even if they're together, you mm-hmm. know, that how oftentimes I'll, I'll hear uh, wives will say when I'll ask, so how did you know? And she'll say, well, you know, I, I found this on the internet or I found these DVDs or I saw this, this receipt. But Tim, you know what? As I look back, I know over the last several years, relationally, emotionally, we have been more disconnected, and especially in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just find that little by little, uh, you know, emotionally, I just don't feel that same level of connection and intimacy. And wives will ignore that, and I would encourage all wives not to ignore that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's noteworthy. And um, now, I don't want every wife to run home and think and, and accuse her husbands of <laughs> being addicted to porn. Right. But um, it's good for us to pay attention to that internal, uh, some of us call it our sixth sense or whatever it is that says, hey, there's something not quite right here. That mm-hmm. intuition. Yeah. So I think what I'm hearing you say is one thing we want to punctuate is that pornography in all of its forms destroys intimacy even if we think that it might enhance the relationship. Exactly. Yeah. In, the, in the end, it never does. Yeah. Where I am today, I mean, I, I can tell you, I had a very distinct transition in my own counseling practice. I never set out to be the, uh, the guy that counsels lots of folks that deal with pornography. Sure. But I can tell you very clearly, it was 15, 16 years ago when all of a sudden my phone lit up and one after another, I was getting phone call after phone call. I mean, it was like I, I remember being completely bewildered by what the heck was going on. Mm-hmm. And everybody can remember back that it was about that long ago when the internet took off right. and just went to a whole new level for everybody and PCs and blah. And I can just tell you that um, that the nature of what has happened is we have had a huge, huge transition in our culture in yeah. the last 15 years. and. I'm not here going to get on my soapbox about talking about cultural issues, although we could, but I'll just say... Um, it's been a game changer. It has been a game changer, mm-hmm. and I don't have the statistic in front of me now, but um, but I did read this, that this Association of Matrimonial Lawyers, mm-hmm. basically family practice law folks, and the number of them that identified that issues of pornography that are now a part of divorce proceedings that used to be nearly nil were at some very large number, and I hate to even bring up a, mm-hmm. a, a piece of data without having that raw number in front of me, but I remember it being over 50% yeah. that it didn't even, wasn't even a part of, of divorce uh, conversation 20 mm-hmm. years ago, right? Um, you know, near like it is now. So it's a new, new phenomena that's planted itself here. Yes. Right. We, we've we seen a, a trend in the last probably just six or seven years. You know, we teach engaged couples, you know, a few times a year. And so we're, we, we are always sitting with premarital couples. And, um, you know, there was a, there was an era where uh, we would, when we were teaching on marriage and sex, and that would be kind of the funny stereotype of the man usually has the higher sex drive and the woman uh, usually is tired and has a headache. And then we started getting mm-hmm. calls from young married couples, newlywed couples, where the wife would say, you know, he's not chasing me around the house. Like, he kind of acts like he could take it or leave it. What gives? What am I doing wrong? And we started to kind of ask ourselves, well, 
I mean, I, I know there are several things that could be contributing to that. I mean, that you could just be married to a guy who's low desire or maybe hormonal and low testosterone and all of that. But we have to ask the question, you know, could it be that he's into porn and so he's not driven to his wife as much as the old school mentality once thought, you know? Have you seen that? Well, that, and that's an astute observation, Kelly, because w what is interesting now is because of going back to Gary Thomas's quote, mm -hmm. it's not a matter of if, it's how much is the guy addicted because um, just across the board at our, our recent church retreat and mm -hmm. we talked about the huge number of Christian men dealing with this issue, right? But, um, you know, what we find is, you know, sometimes we call it the visual Viagra phenomena, mm. you know, that we think, oh, a little Viagra taking the pill, that'll... That'll help, won't it? Mm -hmm. But it doesn't help the intimacy building, right? right? Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to get on a soapbox about Viagra and the benefits, but I can tell you that it's actually, in, in, in my opinion, it has potential to do some damage, um, any kind of medication enhancement. Well, the nature of pornography is like a visual Viagra. You know, for a guy to feel like he can be interested into his wife, you know, that if he's not stimulate himself with pornography, he's conditioned his brain so much mm -hmm. that it looks as if, um, you know, how can I even do this? And I see, you know, time and time again, I see beautiful, gorgeous, lovely women inside and out, just in my office, traumatized, just dealing with immense grief, asking themselves, you know, what is wrong with me? Mm -hmm. um, is there something wrong, bad, defective, asexual about me that my husband is just not interested? Mm -hmm. And, you know, honestly, I don't even use it anymore because it sounds so trite to say it's not personal. Right. Because I know it feels very personal. But I know exactly what you're saying. You're talking about, you know, dealing with young, attractive women. There's nothing wrong with them. No. And yet they're not found attractive because of this addiction. Yeah, I mean, there's a competition for that sexual energy. Mm -hmm. And when a man is looking at pornography, and let's be honest about it, looking at pornography um, just about every time is going to accompany masturbation mm -hmm. and then trying to therefore uh, turn that sexual energy back over towards a wife um, after he's looked at, you know, some immense scenes and, you know, everything on a, on a computer. It's just, you know, that competition is pretty stout. There's mm -hmm. no woman in the world that could compete with that. No. Yeah. Because you're competing with something that's not real anyway, generally. Well, and and, <laughs> and that's, you know, Harry Schomburg wrote a book several years ago called False Intimacy. And uh, you don't even have to read the book to just listen to it. <laughs> yeah. Listen to the title, right? Uh, the, the nature of pornography mm -hmm. is it is a false intimacy. Mm -hmm. A man will look at it and, and it requires nothing of him. You know, that's yeah. that's the devastating thing about pornography is the unreal experience that it provides. It mm -hmm. says, nothing is required of me. Mm -hmm. I don't have to do anything to be present in this marriage, and I can show up, and guess what? This woman on the screen will do and be anything that I need her to be over and over again. And um, uh, a great book years ago, I read Wild at Heart by John Eldridge, mm -hmm. and uh, he, he has a quote in there, something to the effect of, the less a man feels secure about his own masculinity, the more vulnerable he is towards pornography. Mm -hmm. And um, 
So going back to what you were saying just a few seconds ago, you yes. know, to, to maybe the average dude, that seems like it's all upside because, hey, I don't have to have any of the uh, hard work, the hard emotional investment, you know, and I can get this instant payoff. But, but let's talk about some of the negative dividends of men in porn. I mean, can porn addiction lead to sec- sexual dysfunction? I mean, we've certainly uh, drawn that conclusion, but... Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, that time and time again, I, there, there's a term in the field now. Mm-hmm. It's called sexual anorexia. Right. And men will... I, I have to prepare them that when you give up uh, sexual addiction... Um, and even if it's specifically just sexual uh, pornography addiction, that um, you can predictably know that you will likely gravitate over on the other side of the pendulum towards some sexual anorexia. Mm -hmm. For a while, it will take your brain some real time to recalibrate. Mm -hmm. And and your mojo will come back, but it does take some time. So would you compare that to like going through withdrawal, getting off hard drugs and so forth? I mean, I know it's a different kind of experience, but... There is is withdrawal that goes along based Mm -hmm. on the level that a man is sexually addicted. Um, You know, so emotional volatility, feeling depressed, anxious, feeling his body, feeling physical sensations coming off. This would be kind of like the sexual arena... In a, in a man's soul is basically having to recalibrate. Just imagine a pendulum at three o'clock, it swings all the way over to nine o'clock, mm-hmm. and we're trying to get it back at six o'clock. Right. And so that's, um, it, it would be during the same time as a sexual withdrawal, a sexual addiction withdrawal. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it's very much a, a very real phenomena that it provides. It, it, has a lot of sexual dysfunction while going on. So we've already talked about impact on the wife, mm-hmm. erectile dysfunction. Right. Um, List goes on. Yeah. I mean, I, I see men that will get prescriptions for Viagra just because they become so addicted to the sexual f- stimulation feeling mm-hmm. that they'll take Viagra just in walking around. Right. Mm. Not not even planning on hitting on anybody. Wow. They'll take it 9 o'clock in the morning right. just to keep a... a a sensation of tingling that keeps them because they're so conditioned that they feel sort of awkward when they're not feeling it. Right, mm. right. Yeah, as I was doing a little bit of research for this topic, which, by the way, I got to say that that's a little scary, uh, doing research for this topic. But uh, <laughs> yeah. but what that was one of the things I was really interested in in discovering. There was there's a. Um, a website called yourbrainonporn.com, which you may know about, yeah. which I don't think is a Christian website, but it's a scientific website just about what the body and the brain, what's happening, which I think is fascinating and interesting. Information there. It kind of it, it helps you as a as when you're in a helping profession to, you know, especially when you're in a ministry setting, to get off the 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 shame and judgmental side of this and go, yeah, just don't do it to being able to actually engage in meaningful conversations, say, you know, I understand what's happening to the brain, and this is a real mm-hmm. addiction. My, my, I'm curious, is is porn addiction considered to be the same disorder as sexual addiction, or is sexual addiction like a big umbrella and porn addiction is one thing underneath that? Pornography is definitely a building block towards sexual addiction. You know, before we do something, we have to imagine it. Mm-hmm. Do I see that oftentimes how pornography is a precursor to acting out behaviors that, I, again, this whole 
escalation right. and, and tolerance that's built. When I'm using that term, that's a very specific word in the addiction world, mm-hmm. is it the nature of tolerance. Mm-hmm. That is, I just need a little more of the same thing to get a greater buzz. Right. And so we build tolerance. So, you know, pornography goes long and guys will say, hey, you know, and, and they'll find themselves doing, looking at um, stuff that really, I mean, a year earlier, two years earlier, just totally violated their values. Right. And uh, because of this whole tolerance phenomena that's going on. But yes, pornography addiction. I will see men that will be specifically addicted to pornography. I'll see men that pornography is oftentimes part of a bigger picture. Mm-hmm. They're going to clubs. They're going to... It's the tip of the <laughs> tip of the iceberg. Yes. Right. Yeah. There's other stuff yeah. going on. Some men time. will feel too afraid to go and do something else, mm-hmm. uh, acting out with someone. But oftentimes, mm-hmm. men who thought, I would never do that, it scares the eebie-jeebies out of me. And then they find themselves going to some place, hooking up with someone that they would have never thought that they could have. Mm-hmm. Yes. And and I just also want to comment, Kelly, you mentioned uh, you know, just a point there about this particular website, which is really good, uh, this particular guy. He did a TED Talk also. There's a 12 or 15-minute TED Talk if you go to um, – I wish – do you know his name? I, I can't believe I didn't write that down, but no, I don't. Whenever I want his name, I always go to yourbrainonporn.com, <laughs> then I find his name, and then I, I go to Google and type in TED Talk, and I put his name in there. Yes. And there's about two or three TED Talks, if you're not familiar with those, are just real brief, educational, high-impact, high in, very informative uh, conversations that very educated people have given, and some guys have done some things on pornography. This mm-hmm. guy did one 12 or 15 minutes, mm-hmm. and... Um, Anyway, your, your point being that when we have we have to expand the conversation when we're in church, uh, in Christian circles, very quickly the issue of porn and sex has all these implications of sin and darkness and devil and and mm-hmm. um, and you know what all those things are part of the picture. But once you're into this field and understand it, we understand that there is a much bigger impact. There are emotional, relational, there are, and what we know now is some very specific biological things that are going mm-hmm. on with a person's brain. When they say, Tim, I just can't believe I would go back to doing this again. I just made this commitment to my wife. I love her. I'm crazy about her. Mm-hmm. How could I ever go back to this again? Mm-hmm. And to know that the brain is not a moral thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Our brain is craving, you know. Just like you look in the freezer and you see Bluebell and mm-hmm. it says, come and get me. Mm-hmm. Not that you guys ever would struggle with that. That's ice cream for the rest of <laughs> you non-Texans. If you don't live in Texas. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Those poor souls out there. Anyway, back but, to pornography. What you're saying is the brain's getting rewired. Yes. And this whole reward system that we understand that is amazingly part of God's uh, amazing wiring. Mm-hmm. Um, it is just a beautiful thing. But the fact is, is that we can meet legitimate needs through illegitimate avenues, mm-hmm. and God allowed that from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And we've been choosing illegitimate avenues <laughs> a long time, and they will take on a life of their own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that kind of leads to my next point, you know, the, one of the biggest pushbacks to all this discussion about pornography, 
is, you know, it's not hurting anyone. I mean, that's not a new pushback. That was even in the Playboy era, we'll call it. Yes. I think we've established that most certainly it is destructive to the individual. It most certainly is destructive to marriages. It most certainly is destructive to families. But beyond that? Well, I think, you know, culturally, um, just every day, just in the news in the last couple of days. I mean, just, just open up your paper sure. and take a look at what is at the top of the news list for mm-hmm. the day right. and see if it's not. Today in our paper uh, on this uh, April 9th, when we're recording this program, mm-hmm. that a pastor of another very large church has resigned, a, another politician has resigned. You know, there are some other things don't even need to go into. So, you know, are there social, cultural things? Absolutely. And then within the church, the statistics, you know, one out of six, today's Christian woman did a survey and they found that one out of six women would consider themselves, this was a self-report survey, mm-hmm. anonymous. Right. And these are Christian women that are, I suspect, reading today's Christian woman magazine mm-hmm. and one out of six women addicted. We know that well over 50% of men struggle immensely with this. Mm-hmm. Right. So when we look around on Sunday mornings at church, you know, not to bring judgment, but the reality is like, wow, yeah. we need to be talking about this from the pulpit. We need to talk about this in classes and, and, we, and educationally, that when men are surveyed at this particular institute that does sexual addiction recovery, they find that the average age was 11 years old for introduction to pornography, mm-hmm. and now it's even lessening. I don't want to sound melodramatic. No, and, no, but it, but it is what it is. It is. We're worried about things like terrorism and outside things that can you know, destroy the, the country and the quality of life that we enjoy, but there's a, a greater battle happening internally right, that we internally, need to be absolutely. cognizant of. Yep. And you are listening to Marriage to the Max. Welcome back to Marriage to the Max, and if you are in the greater Houston area, we want you to know that we host a monthly date night called Dinner and a Marriage, and we'd love to have you join us. Please feel free to visit dinnerandamarriage.org, find out more details about uh, these fun evening experiences, fun date nights. Well, we're continuing our conversation about pornography with our special guest, Tim Maverick-George. And Tim, we talked a lot about the background of it. When should someone seek treatment and other forms of support for porn addiction? Does it need to be on the level of addiction to be detrimental to a marriage? I think we've established that, that it's detrimental at all levels. Yes. But but at what point do you feel like people need to be honest with themselves and say, I need to surround myself with outside help? 
Well, the nature of any addiction is there is a resistance. What we the term we use is denial, and someone coined the term. It said denial stands for don't even know I am lying. Hmm. <laughs> kind of like a little acronym. Yeah. You sort of have to make that work. Right. But <laughs> those of you who are driving, don't write it down. <laughs> exactly. Denial. Don't even know I'm lying. Okay. So the nature of it is there is a tendency towards the inability to see oneself accurately and objectively. Not that a person is evil, bad, or dark. It's just the nature that an addiction blinds the ability for a person to see themselves accurately. All, all addictions, you would say. All, of, all addictions. Yeah. So when you said, how, how would a person know and do they have to be sort of full-blown addicted? What I would just say is, you know, my sense is that everybody needs some accountability in this process. Accountability meaning the nature of this addiction specifically feeds on secretiveness. Mm-hmm. And isolation. That's right. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and there's usually so much shame about it that people are very unwilling to talk about it. So typical scenario is wife finds husband's pornography or something about it. It blows up. Blows up. There's a big problem. Husband says, I promise I will never do it again. I will never. And he means it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because the fact is, is that when somebody is in denial, the difficulty is when they say it, they really do believe it. Mm-hmm. And then we believe what they believe. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, well, I think he's really sincere. Because the fact is, at that moment, that healthy, spiritual, good self really does mean it. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that the person that's using any addictive substance doesn't realize that um, that denial part is kicking in and will it will make that addiction go underground for a while. Mm-hmm. Days, weeks, months, and then out of nowhere, this guy will say, Wow, Tim. So again, we're following typical scenarios, shows right. up in my office, mm-hmm. and then the man says, I really was committed to it, and I did something so stupid, using a lot of pejorative terms like that. Mm-hmm. I was so dumb. I was such an idiot. I don't know why I did, and it's did it. I did it at my work. My work called me in as a guy I saw recently, and was released from his work at a large oil company or, mm-hmm. you know, just things that happen. Right. And, um, and men will most often resist getting some accountability. Mm-hmm. And when I mean accountability is, you know what, get it out of the secret world. Go yeah, you're not talking to... about shaming. You're talking about straight talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just straight talk. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if nothing else, go to – you can talk to your pastor mm-hmm. or, you know, there are some great groups. If you're in the Houston area, there's a – um, some very good organizations. Um, one that has a great group of men that are really working hard at this is a, out in Katy called Castimonia, C-A-S-T-I-M-O-N-I-A. You can go to their website, castimonia.org, and there's like five of their meetings a week. But there's other meetings, secular meetings, mm-hmm. um, celebrate recovery meetings mm-hmm. that are full of guys that are just struggling. And you know what? They get honest. You know, and it's full of other guys just like me and you, Brett, that are just, um, you know, Christian guys. And this has gotten wanting to do right. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it's gotten the better of them. It has gotten the better of them. Yeah. Yeah. When you when you mentioned recovery, it made me want to ask the question. Um, and I I don't want to rag on the guys and assume that it's just the husbands who have this issue. It could be reversed. But in the in the t- scenario that you mentioned, how important is it for does it get kind of sticky for a wife to be a part of that recovery process? Because 
to a wife when a husband relapses and finds himself kind of on that cycle, yeah. you know, it's so much more painful to her than it is, say, a guy accountability partner or a group, 12-step group or something like that. How closely should she be tied to his accountability? Is that a, does that question make sense? It's a good question mm-hmm. because it, it, it's... Um, and I'm going to answer it, and I'm going to dance around it a little bit. And let me just say, because the fact is, is that some wives really want a husband to talk turkey with them, and they really do want to know about every slip. Mm-hmm. Some wives don't want to know about every slip, okay. and they they couldn't handle it, and they can't handle it, and they don't need to hear it. Mm-hmm. But I will say, the the important point in all of this is the mistake that many men will make and say to me, Tim. Why do I need to talk to another man? I have my wife. She'll be my accountability partner. Mm-hmm. And I can just tell you, that is wrong. Um, a wife cannot be accountability partner. I, you know, uh, whatever I'm struggling with, I need to look in the eyes of another man and say, in this case, hey, Brett, this is what I'm struggling with. I need to have a phone number of, of Brett and say, hey, Brett, I'm at work late tonight, and this is typically when I get into trouble. Mm-hmm. And would you mind uh, holding me accountable? Call me in 30 minutes. And uh, it's good for me to just tell you that this is my MO. And you know what? It's just something very powerful and very uh, incredibly freeing to know I am not just trying to fight this because the age-old, um, th- this ego mentality that we as men hold saying, mm-hmm. you know what? I'm going to do the right thing tonight. I'm just going to hold it together and I'm going to muscle my way through it, and uh, it's just foolishness. There, there might be the higher likelihood that you'll be even more transparent once you've established that relationship with a man because you know man-to-man that this is a common temptation. That's right. Yeah. And and it just the where, help. Where with a wife, sorry to interrupt, but with yeah. a wife, you may be tempted to say, well, this time I can beat it this time. I'll tell her every other time. You know what I mean? You just start playing all kinds of head games. Yeah, right. I mean, you look over and you see your wife tearing up and it's like, you know, well, I almost went there, but I didn't. Or, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, but I'm really going to stop. I'm going to do something different this time. Good intentions. Yeah. But not particularly effective. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I would encourage people to get educated about the process. Mm -hmm. You know, they, people need understanding. There's a, a, um, there's several good books out there generally on sexual addiction. Specifically, if you want to understand the nature of pornography, actually one of the better books I've read recently is a book called The Porn Trap by Wendy Maltz, and her husband is uh, Larry Maltz, M-A-L-T-Z, The Porn Trap. And um, Wendy is interesting in that she is a 60-something-year-old counselor uh, in Berkeley, California, if we have any Berkeley fans out there. <laughs> and if Berkeley means something to some of you, I'm old enough to say Berkeley means something to me. And that is uh, uh, that it's a very liberal place. And so uh, she's, she talks about in the preface of her book that she used to prescribe porn. She had a her own stack of porn that she would prescribe and give to couples to use, to give it to men, give it to women. And, and, that, and what she noticed over the years, and she said it took her like, 15 years to realize, wow, people are little by little, they are not helped by this. Right. Mm. And she said everything about her internal value system wanted to believe it. And um, when I say internal value system, she doesn't write what would appear to be from any kind of Christian perspective. It's a very, but it's a very matter of fact book about this. And this is kind of her journey 
of having done it. It's a very straightforward, um, gives you very uh, readable ideas about what the impact of pornography is all about. And so, um, but I would read that. There are some other great books on sexual addiction that mm-hmm. that are you know real helpful. And then if a guy is wanting and willing, I would encourage him to go to uh, to find a recovery group. If you're not in the Houston area, there are a lot of church-based groups celebrate recovery, as I mentioned. And then also, um, I see a lot of men that get help in um, some of the secular 12-step groups, saa.org. They not only have uh, meetings that you meet in person, they have telephone meetings mm. a zillion times a day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I talk to men that'll dial in and they'll talk on a telephone meeting. They'll listen to a meeting that'll have men from all over the country and sometimes around the world that'll be on one telephone meeting mm-hmm. toll-free, and uh, and they get benefit from it. Yeah. yeah so so there, there's just a lot of resources to help people, to help men's and, and so I just want to say, you know, you're not in a hopeless – there are more resources now than ever before. Yeah, that's great news. That's the flip side of the detriment of yeah. the technology is that it also brings a lot of yep, healing right. benefit, too, if you look for it. That's, that's correct. Fantastic. Uh, so safeguards and filters beyond that that you would want to mention? I mean, covenant eyes and – All of those are good. You know, there is one kind of a clearinghouse of all those now – it's internetfilterreview.com. Oh, great. And it will tell you the upsides, the what's what, which ones are stronger now. Kind of evaluate them yeah. and give you the pros and cons yeah. of each what one. Yeah, what works well on a Mac, what works well on, on phones, what works well on this type of PC. And and I, I'll just say, you know, as we're talking about filters, I think anybody that does not have a filter on their computer mm-hmm. at home, especially with children, is are very foolish. Right. My example of that is, well, first, we have to establish that pornographers are modern-day perpetrators. Right, right. They are modern-day perpetrators in that they are looking to allure children into these places, into these websites. And when we go to... Um, I, I don't really want to give any of these over right. this podcast, but I'll just say that there are some very common names that you might put in that a little girl or a little boy might put in and type in their search engine right. while mommy's cooking dinner. And they capitalize on that is what you're saying. They do. For mm-hmm. intentional intentioning. Mm-hmm. So do we if we look at that and say, Oh, this is not because dad's gonna be looking up one of these. Mm-hmm. These are little children's websites. They right. misspelled a particular website. So mm. if we don't understand that they are modern-day perpetrators and therefore a filter is not perfect, it's not a cure-all, mm-hmm. and it's definitely not going to cure pornography addiction, but it is something. It, it, it is another level of a fishnet to try mm-hmm. to grab right. some of these things and definitely to protect our children. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, one of the myths among a lot of young single guys that they genuinely, I think, believe is that once they get married... They won't need porn because they'll be married and they'll get to have sex whenever they want. What do you say to young guys <laughs> who believe that? Well, the fact that you do as much uh, uh, marital education and counseling that the two of you do, that's that question is obviously loaded because it's coming out of, <laughs> oh, Tim, wow, a lot of guys have come to me and said they thought that this was going to cure it all. Right. And what they find is, you know, reckoning back to what we spoke about a little while ago is that... You know, guys um, believe that, yeah, I can look at porn, I'm going to get married, and 
all that sexual energy, and there's not going to be any competition for it anymore. Wow, it's going to be awesome. And how many men find themselves really disappointed and really sort of dealing with a lot of shame and self-disgust and Mm -hmm. stuff because they they really wanted that to be the cure-all and to realize like, oh, that really didn't cure it. It didn't fix it. So mm-hmm. yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't just cure it. It doesn't make it go away. Mm-hmm. We just can't afford to be naive or think in any way that any of us are above the possibility of being, like you said, lured into it. You know, mm-hmm. there's all kinds of... Well, and you use the word naive, you know, and, and the reality is now we have... I'm glad you use that word because the fact is what this onslaught that has come our way, whether we know it or not or like it or not, is that we have to become educated people mm-hmm. around this. Mm-hmm. And we have to become, I mean, I'll go into my parenting mode for a minute, mm-hmm. is that I, I have to be willing to be uncomfortable with my children and all four of my children, um, two girls and two boys, and having conversations that feel awkward because the reality is this is so big, so powerful out there, and to think that it, it if we don't address it, you know, stick our head in the sand kind of thing. No, we have to address, we have to talk about this. I, I want them to hear um, things from me before mm-hmm. they hear it out on the streets. So As their I, dad. Yeah. 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 Do you think this is a topic that couples who are considering marriage need to talk about? Does, does a young, engaged woman need to say, what are your views on porn before we walk down the aisle? I or mean, vice versa. Yeah, or vice versa. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I th- I think that it's it's become like, oh, this is a whole new realm. We mm-hmm. have to actually do something about this now. That you know that people in our maybe forties and above maybe think, oh, that's really weird. That's a bit <laughs> over the top. Come on, that's so <laughs> awkward. I'm not going to tell my twenty year old daughter or son that when they get married they need to do that. Yeah. And uh, I I can just tell you that um, the the amount that's going on. Do, do you know that now more pornography amongst teenage boys is seen on their phones than on computers? Yeah, right. So oh, wow. I, I had a conversation not long ago with one of my teenage boys to say, hey, what's this like in the locker room with with phones? Mm-hmm. Um, what's the struggle like? And just having to force that sort of conversation to come up. And um, They're difficult conversations. Yeah, they're but... difficult. They're awkward. Believe mm-hmm. me, I'd rather talk about the NBA or something else, but no, no, we're going to have to have this one. Yeah. So that's good. So yes. Well, we hope this conversation has been void of of any shame talk or casting judgment. That was certainly not uh, our intention uh, on this podcast. As always, we want to encourage couples to seek help in this or any other area that they may be having. Anything that's causing an adverse effect on your relationship, we want to give you permission to do that. And it's certainly not worth it to try to battle this alone. We, we all need support. We all need accountability. So if that's a missing piece, uh, we encourage you to, to seek out help to restore you to health and wholeness and, and to pray. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a spiritual battle. There's just no getting around it. Well, thank you, Tim. We appreciate your uh, very candid conversation with us and your willingness to, to lay these things out. We appreciate your expertise. Awesome to be here with you again. 
Thanks. Well, if you'd like to contact us, you can find us at marriagetothemax.org. You can also check out our website at homeencouragement.org. And if you have a topic or a question that you'd like us to discuss on this podcast, send us an email to thehearse at homeencouragement.org, and we'll do our best to uh, get it on the air. Thanks for listening today. And until next time, remember, healthy marriage, healthy world. God bless y'all. Thank you.